KRCO, Salt Lake City. In honor of Volunteer Appreciation Month, everyone here at the station wants to say thank you to the countless number of volunteers that make KRCL, KRCL. From 1979 to 2022 and beyond, we would not be here without our dedicated volunteers. Whether you're a DJ, you're out hauling the tent all summer, or you're on the board or answering phones during Radiothon, it all goes to making KRCL what we all know and love today. Welcome to Radioactive, a show for grassroots activists, community builders, punk rock farmers, and DIY creatives weeknights at 6 here on KRCL, Listener's Community Radio of Utah. I'm Laura Jones, flying solo on the show tonight. We're going to catch up with the Utah Wild, the first women's professional ultimate frisbee team in the Mountain West. They're hosting a series of games for the Western Ultimate League this weekend in Salt Lake. And we're going to share with you how to check it out, maybe even get involved. They are a nonprofit and could use your time and talents. Amy May of Tree Utah is here on Earth Day Eve. She needs some folks to help out on a tree planting tomorrow, rain or shine. And we'll talk about our ongoing Radiothon partnership and Earth Day activities. We'll close the hour with another episode of Meet the DJ. This time, Jordan Clayton, host of KRCL's Back Porch Blues Ramble, Sundays 5 to 7 a.m. And I've got some special guests for rallies and resources, so let's get on with that, shall we? Rallies and resources at krcl.org. You just go to that page and click on Community Affairs, and you'll find a curated list of events for radioactive listeners. For instance, Let's talk with Amy May of Tree Utah because she needs your help. Hey, Amy May, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you? So good to see your face. I know. It's really good to studio here. It's beautiful. And you'll be back, I'm sure, (laughs) helping us pitch throughout Radiothon. That's right. I will. I'm excited. It's Radiothon Eve here at KRCL tonight. And it's Earth Day Eve. Mm -hmm. So you are probably not sleeping at all tonight. I mean, (laughs) it's like the day before Christmas, right? Yeah. (laughs) So tomorrow you do have tree planting, 9 a.m. Where is that uh-huh. happening? You need some more hands? Uh, we want to make sure that as many people who want to join us can join us. We have trees set up and ready to plant, and we do plant these trees rain or shine. So um, anyone who's got good rain gear, please come out and join us. It's looking like it will be a bit wet, but really great for the trees. We'll be at the West Valley um, Utah Cultural Celebration Center, and we'll actually be there all day. We're planting from nine until noon with, um, I think it's about 29 trees that are going in. And then there's an oak tree that Samba Fogo is planting that evening. It's Spring Fest in West Valley City for Earth Day. and that celebration's happening from 5.30 until 8 tomorrow night, still at the Utah Cultural Celebration Center. We've got an art exhibit about trees that's happening there that you can check out during the day. Um, you know, join us at 9 a.m. and come plant as many trees as you'd like to with us. We'll have hot tea and coffee and snacks and some breakfast out there, and we'd love as many volunteers as possible to come join us. So tell me more about Earth Day Mm -hmm. and what it means in the scope of things. I know it's this kind of annual milestone. Do you kind of take the temperature of where we are with trees? You know, I mean, it's a great opportunity to really engage people. And it's this week is always the week where we have tree plantings every day or a couple times a day. Plus, everyone's calling saying, hey, can I come plant trees? And uh, it's it's really a great time for attention on all kinds of environmental sort of issues and resources and ideas. And uh, one of the things that happens out of this, especially for people who call me this week when we're already kind of in motion, is like, hey, can you join us at a planting in May? And did you know we do this year round? And it's always really important to be planting trees and doing things that are important for the earth and thinking about those issues. So um, it's unusual. It's, you know, of course, tomorrow will be this big storm. So we want to make sure that the volunteers who are hardcore enough to come out in the rain, please do so. Come join <laughs> us. Even if you haven't signed up on our website, um, you know, go to treeutah.org and sign up in advance and read about it if you want to. But um, we'd love to have you. And it would be really fun to, to be there. So 
when we look at the last two years, you and I have talked about this a couple times on the yeah. show, like, you know, planting trees is a socially distant endeavor uh-huh. to a certain degree. You <laughs> had to do some, some pivoting. Do you have some goals for the next year? Yeah, overall, we're planting over 7,500 trees. We um, have gotten away from planting tiny, tiny seedlings, which happens in restoration projects sometimes. But Utah is about the hardest place in the country to plant trees. And so we really like to focus on survival rates. And that means planting things with deeper root systems to start with and really getting things established because getting trees through their first July and their second July is really critical. And we want to make sure that we're as close as 100% uh, success rates as possible, especially for, we do guarantee 100% success for our park and school plantings. And, um, you know. Because you'll come back and take care of them. We'll come back, yeah, yeah, (laughs) and watch over them. But also, um, you know, even in restoration plantings, we're really looking to plant, you know, if we're going to engage people and have volunteers come out and join Mm -hmm. us, we really want everything to survive and so that's been a big push. It's less about the total numbers of trees and more about like how are we making an impact, especially after that windstorm in September of 2020 mm. that we all in the inland in hurricane. That's yeah. right. <laughs> I was over at Rose Park in Rose uh-huh. Park and uh, doing a little you know, circuit around the park and I was looking, hey, mm-hmm. I helped plant that little crop of trees over there, but some of them yeah. don't look like they've made it. So you'll go oh, back uh-huh. and visit things like that? We do, we do, yeah. And um, we're always going back and replanting and and testing things to see what is successful, what's not. Sometimes, like right now, we're doing tests with biochar to see if that helps really hold in moisture and helps the trees survive long term. We do now plant all of our trees with beneficial mycorrhizae, which is a fungus that helps the roots really stretch out and grow and um, build into the ecology of the entire ecosystem. And just really looking at like planting in places where we know that success is possible and there's irrigation and things like that. So quick tips for home gardeners. Mm-hmm. We were having this debate, um, uh, some friends and, yeah. uh, and I, and it was how to plant the root ball, which you're supposed to plant it down deep, but then mm-hmm. does that choke, do the roots grow up and choke the base of the tree? Oh yeah. So not too deep. Thing. Actually planting trees too deep is the number one reason trees do not survive. So, you know, when you think about gardening or planting your tomatoes, people often plant their tomatoes quite deep or you don't have to worry yeah, they, so they much. lay them down and have them then come yeah. back up. You don't do that with a tree. No, trees actually need oxygen and they, they it's critical that they don't have um, like smothering happening around their trunk, the base of their trunk. You really also, in nurseries, lots of times in those pots, if they're in a pot for a couple of years, the soil kind of builds up around the, the trunk of the tree and you really have to dig down and expose the root flare of the tree. This the is something flare. everyone at our Tree Utah events kind of gets this education. We gather everyone up at the beginning of every event and say, hey, let's all plant together because everyone thinks they vaguely kind of know how to plant a tree, but we really have um, certain kind of milestones that we want to reach with every tree and make sure that they're all set up for success as much as possible. So um, you really don't ever want to plant a tree too deep. It's far Far worse to plant it too deep than a little too shallow. And um, it's often, you know, when you see those suckers kind of coming up out of the base of trees, um, especially in street trees and things, typically it is a sign that they're planted too deep and they're trying to to get more oxygen. So, um, yeah, there's lots of things to watch out for. We really are an organization that's, um, we're a nonprofit. We do education at all of our events to make sure that people come away understanding the trees around them better, knowing how to plant for success, being able to go out and feel confident that they have enough of a green thumb to really plant more going forward. So go plant trees with Tree Utah, <laughs> learn how to do it, and then you've got all the tips ready to go when you go home. That's right. The one other thing to think about this year, especially with the drought that we're really going through, as we're looking at turning off water for things like um, the regular kind of lawn sprinkling and things like that, a deep watering for your trees is so critical. And we saw last year people were turning off their irrigation and trying to save water, which is a great effort. And also, the trees are going to cool our city. They're very important, and they take far less water than those lawns that need constant sprinkling do. But, you know, once a week, once every two weeks, long, deep watering is so critical. And trees make such a huge impact in our lives, and especially as we put in more and more buildings and hard surfaces all over our communities. We really need to be cognizant of taking care of the trees we already have. So, Amy May, what's the website where folks can learn more, sign up, and volunteer tomorrow, 9 a.m., Utah Cultural? Celebration Center. That's right. It's uh, treeutah.org. And thank you so much to everyone who already volunteers. Thank you, Amy. Yeah. And now we're going to talk with some folks working on a project to help young women 
uh, in our community at the Dave Riverside Branch in Rose Park. We have joining us from the City Library, Stephanie Costa, Head of Teen Services. Hi, how you doing? I'm great. Thanks for having us. Hey, thanks for being here. And also we have Emily Barnard, a junior at West High, leading this service project to gather donated menstrual products in order to build up a stockpile at the Day Riverside Branch in Rose Park. And Emily, welcome to Radioactive. Thanks for being here. Hi, thanks for having me. So what made you decide this was the project to do? Well, this has always been something that I've been really passionate about, and I thought it'd be just a great opportunity to do it for my Teen Squad project and try to make a difference in my community. Excellent. Thanks for being here. So what are you looking for? What can people donate? How can they get it to you? Yeah, so we should we will have um, donation boxes at most branches of Salt Lake City Public Library. And we're looking for unused, unopened pads and tampons that will be used to help our local unsheltered communities, homeless communities, and really anyone who might need it so that day. Be at the library, Day Riverside, which is where, Stephanie? It's in Rose Park. What's the address? 1575 West, 1000 North. And I, I know Tree Utah plants a lot of trees outside that library, so we do have a connection, Amy May. Mm-hmm, we do. The Eco Garden is just outside. Yeah. Yes, it's one of the most beautiful branch So locations. Teen Squad is what this falls under. You help folks in the community, teens that want to do stuff like this. Yeah, Teen Squad is the city library's volunteer program for teens, and we have a summer program and a school year program. So Emily's part of the school year program right now. And there's a couple different ways that teens can volunteer. They can either help out in the library branches doing like odd jobs and helping librarians with events, or they can come up with a project of their choosing, which is what Emily's done. And they choose something that's important to them. And then they come up with something that will benefit the community and benefit the library. What's, what kind of other projects have been done? We have had um, volunteers contact journalists and do events where they do like a panel. We've had uh, volunteers do book lists that are posted on our digital collections. They help with take and make crafts. Um, there's so many different things and it's kind of what are you excited about as a volunteer and let's connect you with how mm-hmm. that can serve the community. So Emily, is there a deadline for this when people need to drop off products? Yes, yeah, so our donation is through all of April, so it'll end at the end of April, yeah. Just another week, folks, to help Emily get as much stockpiled as possible. And they can just drop it off at the Day Riverside Branch mm-hmm. in Rose Park. And even though there is this deadline, the goal is to stock the bathrooms. So, folks, try and get it before the 30th, but I'm guessing librarians will still accept these kinds of donations, Stephanie. Absolutely. Absolutely. So is there? this is a pilot What if you get so much? Will you take it to other branches? Yeah, we would love to see that happen. Um, Right now, we're just focusing on the Day Riverside branch to see if we can sustain it. And then we would love to take it to multiple locations. So that's the dream. So if I go into the Day Riverside or any branch library, should I just contact a library and say, I have a donation of period products? Go to the desk. They will know what you're talking about. And they'll take them for you and send them to the Day Riverside branch. Mm. This is uh, an item, folks, that women who are unsheltered, it's costly. It's costly for any woman who menstruates to have these products. And so that someone in the community cares enough to gather them and stock them in the bathrooms at the Day Riverside Branch in Rose Park is just, I'm just really pleased. So, Emily, congratulations. Mm -hmm. Any call to action you want to issue on this? Because I think we need to really get folks to help you here. Yeah, I would love more donations. We've received some so far. But really, more the merrier. This isn't a problem that's just going to stop at the end of April. It's going to hopefully continue on, and we're hopefully going to be able to help more people through it. All right. Emily Barnard from West High, thank you so much. And Stephanie Costa from the City Library. Thank you. Thank you. Teen Squad, where can folks learn more? Teen Squad, slcpl.org forward slash teens. Teens, great. We'll put it in the show notes, folks. And uh, Amy May, just for you, Uh as we uh, get ready for some more guests to come into this packed hour, I've got the lemon tree for you from Mount Joy. How about that? Oh, hey. Thanks, Laura. (laughs) Happy Earth Day (laughs) Eve from KRCL. Point nine FM KRCL's funding comes from individual listeners like you, as well as businesses, corporations, and foundations. KRCL has an open meeting policy. 
The station holds open board of trustee and community advisory board meetings. You may view KRCL's yearly financial report, audited financial statements, EEO reports, and meeting schedule on our website at krcl.org. April is National Volunteer Month. Thank you to everyone who volunteers at KRCL and one of the more than 10,000 nonprofits across Utah. Looking to donate your time to a good cause? Check out the Utah Nonprofits Association or youserve.utah.gov. Lots of ways to get involved in your community, and one of those ways is listening to the show, Radioactive Weeknights at 6. I'm Laura Jones. Hope you hear something tonight that gets you plugged in, gets you interested in maybe getting off the couch, venturing out, and donating your time. There is a, a push for a new state flag here for the Beehive State. The state of industry is on uh, many of our previous iterations of the flag. But what is missing from there? What could be on our flag? Joining me to talk about that from the More Than a Flag campaign, we have Hillary Robertson. Hi, how you doing? I'm doing great, Laura, thanks. Thanks for being here. And from the Design Review Committee, I understand, Virgil Johnson, former Confederated Tribes of Goshute Chairman. Hi. Howdy. Why did you decide you wanted to take part in this? Well, first of all, uh, Dominique Tallahashua from the Division of Indian Affairs with the state of Utah called me and recommended me to uh, be involved. I wanted to uh, hear from a native perspective. And uh, so because of her, I'm here. Wonderful. So what do you think of when you think of the Utah state flag as it is currently depicted? Well, I think, uh, I think it represents historically um, the ideologies of the state of Utah, and uh, and I assume other states are uh, or have been in the process of uh, redoing their flag because mm-hmm. uh, you know this nation um, we have uh, a lot more diversity in our communities, uh, and because of that, uh, we want to welcome all individuals, you know, um, because we uh, want to be uh, a nation of one people, even though uh, we have diversity. And uh, and I think those ideals, I think, are very common, mm-hmm. a common thread that runs through uh, throughout the United States of America. And, uh, and because we welcome everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, so and I think that's one of the reasons why. All right. Hillary, what is it that the commission is looking for? I know the deadline to submit a design is coming up April 30th, and there's some tools online at flag.utah.gov for people to take a shot at designing the flag. Yeah, so we are looking to hear from all Utahns of any age from any part of the state uh, to hear what themes and what symbols, what ideas say Utah to them so that we can find kind of that common thread that everybody in the state can get behind, Um, whether it's a a beehive or, you know, (laughs) a star or just the color blue itself. We want to find what the what really speaks to Utahns Mm. um, in a flag design. How's the outreach going? Uh, this is for either one of you about getting yeah. folks who don't maybe see themselves in the flag as it's currently constituted, Virgil. Yeah. Well, uh, in the mornings uh, for wellness, I, I swim. And uh, so I was uh, conversing with a couple of the individuals that I swim with, and, and one lady said uh, she didn't like the idea uh, you know, she's she's kind of uh, she didn't she didn't like change, ah. and and I think that's uh, you have a group of individuals in the state that that I think feel the same way she does, mm. you know. Um, but I also spoke with her about you know diversity. We are more a diversified community now than we have ever in the past, and so. Uh, because of that diversity, as I mentioned earlier, I think it's something that we need to uh, strengthen one another in in our being diverse. In other mm-hmm. words, you know, join the rest of the community out there in the United States. It's happening, and so so I think it's just a reflection of 
of what what we are now dealing with as opposed to uh, some of the traditional ideologies that have been here in the past. You know, we're, we're moving forward, and part of the moving forward, I think, uh, uh, is what we're trying to do. We have eight tribes in Utah. Is there any symbol from any one of the tribes that you think might uh, speak well to our diversity if it were in a new version of the flag? Well, you need to understand native uh, indigenous people. Indigenous people are sovereign, and and you have eight different tribes, and they're sovereign to each other. So there's nothing in common <laughs> there symbol-wise. Well, symbolism-wise, you know, natives have a lot of symbolisms mm. dealing with their traditions and their cultures. And, for example, uh, the Confederated Tribes of the Goshiate Reservation flag, we have... Um, projectile point in the middle of our flag and a circle around it and then and then we have some feathers four feathers that are hanging off the circle and that was uh originated by the uh earlier what we call the, the what we, in our culture we call it the old people and there's the one they are the ones that put that together mm. and uh so i'm assuming other tribes have done the same so so when I say the projectile point, I, it takes us back to the aboriginal indigenous people and their way of life because uh, Confederate Tribes of the Goshiate Reservation, we are Great Basin people. In other words, we were people who um, lived off the land, uh, knew where uh, everything was located, the water holes, the animals, the plants, and all those kind of things. And then at the circle, is a, it's a never-ending you know, there is no beginning, there is no ending. Life just continues. So, so that's what I believe our our flag represents. And other uh, tribes have, you know, an eagle representing and feathers and so on and so forth. So, so it's hard to, you know, say this is common to all natives. That's going to be hard to find something that pleases everyone too, Hillary. So, what's the timeline on this project? And any tips that you might want to throw out there, <laughs> I, I'm I'm already. Let's just go with that, Virgil. <laughs> I'm easy to please, though. So we have a, a design review committee who will be meeting in a very large room and just going through the. We have over three thousand submissions so far. Mm -hmm. So looking at them, there are some design principles they'll be looking for. Is it simple? Does it use a lot? You know, does it use minimal text, if at all? Um, is it ha using primary colors? Is it easy to read? Could a fifth grader replicate? Mm -hmm. with a box of crayons uh, so they'll look for some of those principles and then they'll narrow down the designs and um, combine them into a couple of key themes and those themes will be presented to some professional designers who will take them and, and make up their own versions of a flag. Oh, good, because I was really worried <laughs> that somebody's design would be taken and put on the flag. You're going to actually possible. take these elements, yeah. unless it's really, really awesome. If it right, stands Virgil? out, if there's just like an amazing flag or certain flag yeah. design submitted, we're not going to ignore that. Yeah. Um, those That individual would work with our professional designers. Um, and then five or so flag designs will be presented to the flag commission which is made up of the legislature some legislative members and the lieutenant governor and governor um, who will then kind of narrow it down to one that they feel represents our state so this is not like you know american idol where listener viewer <laughs> votes count it all virgil yeah. <laughs> no Bodie mcboat face here yeah <laughs> so the deadline is april 30th and uh folks I would really love to see you give it a try. You don't have to be the professional. Really what we're looking for is, is feeling and um, some, some kind of in inclusivity, Virgil. Well, you know, I, I want to share with you one thing about the flags. Uh, several years ago when I was a tribal chairman of the Confederated Tribes of the Goshiate Reservation, I took our flag and presented it to the Secretary of Interior's office. They have a wing in that building in the Secretary of Interior's office at Washington, D.C., that's lined with many of the flags of the native people across the United States and Alaska. And our flag is one of those flags. And, and I don't know, out of all the native tribes that are in the state of the United States and Alaska, what would be a common you know, common design to represent all natives across this land. And I also took that same flag and presented it to 
I think the associate director of the museum, of the new museum that, that opened in uh, Washington, D.C. several years ago. So our flag is uh, in, 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 in Washington, D.C. I, I thought it was significant enough uh, when I went back to one of the meetings that I um, present our flag uh, at the nation's capital. And, they, and when they have those uh, Native American meetings, they fly all the Native American flags in, 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 some, of their, uh, in some of their meetings. So I felt honored to, to do that. So uh, uh, with that said, I, 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 I'm also honored to be involved in this organization to come up with a flag that represents all individuals in the state of Utah. Not only indigenous people, but you know the diversity that that we have in this great state of Utah. Thank you so much for coming in. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Virgil Johnson, former Confederated Tribes of the Goshute Chairman, and also a member of the Design Review Committee for More Than a Flag, which is also where we get Hillary Robertson tonight. And again, the deadline April thirtieth for designs. April thirtieth. Flag.utah.gov. Um, there's still time to submit. Even if you're not a designer, you can send in. Um, verbal idea or written ideas so some ideas yep I love it that you're not just going with straight visual yep. representation but you want people to participate in creating the new flag yeah for the whip great out state the box of, of crayons <laughs> <laughs> I like it and on that note here is okay go all together now on KRCL KRCL Spring Radiothon starts April 22nd. That's right, Earth Day. If you're planning to donate already, why not do it right now at krcl.org. In honor of Earth Day, why not plant a tree for a one-time donation of $100? Let's kick off Radiothon right and head into Earth Day with half a forest ready to plant. Donate now at krcl.org. Thanks. Ah, yes, half a forest ready to plant. That would be awesome, folks. You can find out more at krcl.org. I'm Laura Jones, and you're listening to Radioactive. Comes your way weeknights at 6. Coming up at 7, it's Democracy Now!, followed by Thursday Night Psych Out with DJ Mike at 8, The Dirty Boulevard with Gianni at 10.30, you get Rich Parks and I Don't Sound Like Nobody with Rich Parks at 1 a.m., Illustrated Blues with Jolene at 3, and then John Florence kicking off Radiothon in a brand new day at 6 a.m. tomorrow. All right, still to come, meet the DJ with Jordy of Back Porch Blues Ramble. But right now, the Utah Wild is back. We got introduced to them on the show a while back and uh, wanted to keep in touch with them as this is the first women's professional ultimate frisbee team in the Mountain West. They've got a series of games for the Western Ultimate League. I think it's a wild, wild weekend in Salt Lake this weekend with them. Joining me to talk about it, we have two players. We have Gabby Ofterheide. Hi. Hi. And also Kelly Coster. Hi. Hi. Are there positions in in the game of ultimate frisbee, forward, halfback, what? Yes. So (laughs) there are what we call handlers who are like distributors, sort of like multiple quarterbacks of the team uh-huh. and then there are also cutters who are like receivers downfield so and from what i've seen and obviously not a lot and i don't know a lot about different sports uh very little about any sport frankly but it seems like a cross between golf maybe tennis and rugby when it comes to the rules and how you're moving the frisbee up and down the field yeah is it a pitch a field uh, it's yeah a field. it's a field it's a field great so what is happening this weekend Yes, so we have three three games that we are participating in. There's actually four games total happening this weekend. Um, we play Friday night against a team from Oregon called the Onyx. We also play Saturday against a Seattle team called the Tempest. And then Sunday we play against San Diego Superbloom. I'm exhausted just hearing your schedule for the weekend, (laughs) you two. Yes. There's also a youth clinic happening on Saturday morning. Um, So if there is any high school-aged people listening who would be interested in picking up Ultimate, um, there's also a youth clinic happening that the Wild players are coaching. So it's a cool opportunity. Do you need to sign up? Does it cost anything? Where can they go? Yes. You can go to uh, utahultimate.org slash youth for an opportunity to sign up. It's called the Swarm Boot Camp. There is a cost, but there's also a pay-what-you-can option because we do want it to be accessible. Great. We'll put a link in the show notes, folks. But I wanted to talk again about your mission, which is to advance visibility, equity, and high-quality competition for diverse women and non-binary players within the sport of Ultimate. That seems very important uh, core to the Utah Wild. Would you say, Gabby? (laughs) Yeah. um, 
I think what has been seen in like other leagues that I've tried to start, including in Frisbee, is like women players being shut out or it not being made an environment where they feel welcome. And so then they end up choosing to leave it. Yeah. And uh, a big intention behind like the Western Ultimate League was um, we want awesome players to play and like do what they want to do while like participating in an environment that feels like safe and healthy to them so as a player are you donating your time or are you salaried how does that work it's a pro team right yeah i mean the western ultimate league is is quite young Mm -hmm. so uh it was supposed to start right before the pandemic and then the pandemic delayed it by like two years so right now the the benefit of pro ultimate is you don't pay to play which is pretty rare in ultimate frisbee so it's um, not soccer money yet. Women's soccer money. No. <laughs> no. And Which is growing. Yeah. And all of our travel costs are covered. That's fantastic. So the the goal would be like get more ground, get more like sponsors, and eventually there can be some money to yeah. support the players. So Kelly, mm-hmm. what's well actually let's start with you, Gabby, since you're talking. What's how did you become a pro fris- frisbee player? Is it something you've done for a while? Uh, I mean, I've played Frisbee since I was like 15 or 16, and then I went to the University of Oregon, which had a pretty competitive women's program. Um, On scholarship? No, all, most Frisbee in college is considered like a club sport. What? Yeah. <laughs> it's not like NCAA sanctioned. This is part of growing the sport then, yeah. to get it sanctioned. Yeah, yeah, potentially. There's a whole debate around sanctioning because we're a self-regulated sport, um, we don't have referees and you don't often, have a commissioner. You don't have all that infrastructure. Yeah. It's very like players are deciding the rules are like have shaped what ultimate is. And so I think there's a conversation around like how much do we want it recognized versus how much do we want to continue ultimate to be what we like ultimate to be. How much do you want it to be recognized then? Gabby? Yeah. <laughs> do you? That's a great question. <laughs> I don't know. At this point in my life, I do so many things that, like, most people don't know about, including my work, that it's just kind of, like, I want – I mean, I want the opportunity for it to be accessible, which I think is, like, yeah. what pro women's does is it makes it accessible money-wise to people. Okay. All right, Kelly, tell us how you came to the Utah Wild. Yes, it's been a long journey. Uh, I didn't play, start playing Ultimate until I was in college at the University of Idaho, Um, It was a great program, but we were not necessarily competitive. Mm. Um, So I've been playing for about 10 years now and have gotten more competitive over that time. I've played in Seattle. I've played in Denver. Um, I just moved to Utah very recently. So this has been a really exciting team for me to play on because I've been playing with people I played with in college, people I played with as an adult in Seattle. We also have members on the team who are from Colorado. So I get to play with some friends that I made out there. So this is really like a combination of all parts of my ultimate career on one team. Well, when the word went out that there's a team in Salt Lake City, um, did that draw some folks or maybe find some folks who hadn't considered it before the sport? Definitely. Yeah, we we sort of are represented across the Mountain West is what we say. So um, the the Big Sky section, which includes all those Mountain West states, has been, I would say, underrepresented in the Frisbee world for a long time. And so when the Utah announced that we were going to have a pro women's team, I think the top players from all those different smaller ultimate communities came out to play. And the result is really exciting and really fun to watch. So describe how a game, a match goes and what quarters. I mean, how much running? Because like you told me you're playing four games, essentially, in one weekend. And I just got winded. <laughs> Absolutely. So the pro rules are different from most rules of ultimate. So I'll tell you what the pro rules are. Um, we start with a pull, so one team pulls the full field down to the other team. That team is now on offense. Um, much like in soccer, there's the turnovers happen midpoint. Um, the point ends when one team catches a the frisbee in the uh, end zone. Um, the what do sl- I call it? Do I call that a touchdown? It's a goal. <laughs> it's a goal. Yeah. I want to call it a touchdown. Um, yeah, okay. We have you have seven. Once you catch the disc, you have seven seconds to throw it. Um, and that's so it keeps it moving short. Yes, that's a very short stall. So um, that's definitely new to a lot of players in the league. Um, Like Gabby mentioned, we are self officiated. So that's uh, different from a lot of sports where you really get to um, negotiate with the other team about how the game is going to go and like, like what level that. of contact is okay or not. Yeah, because this is not supposed to be a contact sport. Correct. So the, you negotiate kind of how things are going to go. What happens when um, you disagree 
in a match. Yeah. Uh, so players get to call their own fouls. So if Gabby, you know, touched me in a way that I didn't like on the field, I would say foul. Gabby then gets to either contest that foul call or does not contest that foul call. And depending on whether she contests or doesn't contest, we have different outcomes based on that. Wow. It's that's really interesting approach to a competitive sport that's not full contact, but you're still running into each other mm-hmm. out there. So um, I'm, it sounds like maybe the injury rate's even lower than uh, other similar sports, perhaps. Is there anything similar? Uh, this is my lack of sports commentating coming. Yeah, I mean, it's historically ultimate is pay- played in like high game numbers. Mm-hmm. So like outside of pro, you usually play like six to seven games in a weekend. Mm-hmm. So that's often where like injuries come into play is that you're playing really intense for really uh. long. So um, a benefit of like playing in shorter weekends Mm -hmm. or like one game at a time, one game per day is that like your body is less fatigued. So hopefully like there will be some injury reduction and players also like it's called laying out. It's where you like dive for the disc or like throw your body in the air. Oh, you sent me some great pictures to put in the show. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And often like you have to be strong to withstand that impact. And if, something happens or if you haven't like trained enough you can like have injuries from that also so tell me about the season this this wild wild weekend and then what so we have already had three games this season we traveled down to arizona we also traveled out to california for a game um so we'll have three games this weekend and then the wild regular season games will be over at that point there's still other teams in league will be playing after that and then we have a championship weekend may 14th and 15th in san diego and how'd you do last year? Well, last year we weren't able to play yeah. because of COVID. But you had a few things here, some friendlies. Uh, right? We had, there was a Winter Cup happened yeah. in last December, um, and the Wild won. Yay! The inaugural uh, Western Ultimate League tournament. So that was very exciting. It's fantastic. So how can folks participate this weekend? You said there's a clinic. Mm-hmm. Uh, you need to go to utahwildultimate.org, and we'll put it in the show notes, folks, to sign up. Um, but then tickets for the the games. Yeah, so tickets from the games can be purchased on our website. Um, if you come to more than one game, I think there's like a discount on the number of the, on the price of the tickets. Um, if you aren't able to make it in person, we are also streaming all the games live for free um, at westernultimateleague.com. Um, and then on our website, there's also merch is all a great way to support us, sharing social media posts. Um, and if anyone would like to sponsor the team, definitely reach out to us. Definitely reach out. But also, you're a 501c3. You're a nonprofit. You need volunteers to make the wild go. So what kind of opportunities are there to volunteer? True. Definitely reach out. We are looking for folks to take ticket money, sell concessions, merch, that type of thing. But, um, yes, reaching out to us either on Instagram or Twitter or through our website is the best way to get connected. And for young women, young non-binary folk who want to check it out, this weekend's the perfect opportunity, Gabby. Yeah, definitely. I hope to see people out there and it. I think it's going to be an awesome opportunity of like when I was younger, there wasn't there was not this sort of opportunity to see women play and when there was, there was so much hype around it and so it's like cool to be able to be like a part of that now. Give us that schedule one more time for this weekend. Yes, we are playing Friday, April 22nd at 6 p.m., Saturday, April 23rd at 4 p.m., and Sunday, April 24th at 11 a.m. All at Judge Memorial, by the way, folks. I just realized we hadn't said where you're playing, so Judge Memorial. It'll all be in the show notes. So thank you so much, Kelly Coster and Gabby Ofterheide. You guys keep coming back often enough. That's going to roll off the tongue, Gabby. So, you know, break a leg. Well, don't break a leg. Have a great game. Thank you. The Utah Wild. Check tonight's show notes. Well, to close the show, I've got another episode of Meet the DJ. And KRCL is listeners community radio of Utah. We're powered by more than 30 volunteer DJs like Jordy Clayton. He's host of Back Back Porch Blues Ramble Sundays from 5 to 7 a.m. And I spoke with him recently about what keeps him coming back every week. We start, though, with how and when it all started for him here at KRCL. Good question. I think it's about eight years at this point. I'd have to look exactly at the calendar date, but it's something in that ballpark, seven, eight years, something like that. Why? What made you come (laughs) down the first time and say, I'm going to come every week really early, right? Yeah. So I was um, 
putting together furniture and exploring the radio dial uh, when I first moved to Salt Lake City and discovered KRCL by accident, just exploring the bottom of the dial and immediately fell in love with the station. I couldn't believe what I was hearing. I don't, I don't remember what song it was, but I just had it cranked the whole rest of the night. And then I realized pretty quickly that there were opportunities to come down and answer phones during that radiothon. And from there, I just fell in love with the, the people that I met and the community here and the radio stations. That's how I got started. So the Back Porch Blues Ramble. Yeah. Sounds like it's blues, but explain <laughs> the breadth and depth of what you pull from. So it's meant to be, it's not all acoustic, but it's mainly acoustic blues. It's meant to be something that if you're sitting on your back porch or your front porch and you're, you're playing music with your friends and it just feels, you can really feel the music, you can feel... Um, the emotions that the musicians are are expressing. It's not about the most notes, not going for aficionados. You know, it doesn't have to be the most talented guitar players, that kind of thing. It's more about just feeling it. And so uh, country blues, folk blues, traditional blues, but I'm, I'm really excited about bringing in a lot of new artists that are playing in the traditional style. Where are you finding them? Uh, it's been a it's been one of the things that I've loved most about doing the show. I came into the show, you know, whatever it was, eight years ago, with a pretty limited knowledge about this genre. And I have learned a lot since then. It's been really fun. I mean, some of it it's just doing some online research. Some of it's just people calling in with suggestions. I learned some great stuff from Tom when he was co-hosting the show with me. Um, that was great uh, having him on board. And, uh, you know, of course, just from the other DJs, I hear, th you know, I hear things that are getting played all around, uh, you know, different hours, um, certainly from Brian, but from others as well. And I, I, I definitely have learned a lot from just, you know, tuning into this station. So I take it you take requests. I do take requests. I tend to uh, have a kind of limited library with me. So typically the requests will be honored the next week. And so I do have a Facebook page for the show in addition to the KRCL page and the Facebook page is just facebook.com slash back porch blues ramble and so that's that's the easiest way to get in touch with me during the show because I do have that open at all times so if people want to like check in make comments ask about what they've just heard or you know whatever that that can all happen there you describe the kind of blues you're going for uh with kind of the mood and genre what about some names if people tune in or haven't tuned in yet and they're thinking I want to check this out what are some of the names yeah, so the very first, um, the, the ones that got me into the genre, I will say, are, are Cephas and Wiggins, John Cephas and Phil Wiggins. I I didn't really know up and down from blues, you know, back when I was in my 20s. And I was in this radio, this uh, record store um, back in Madison, Wisconsin, and they turned me on to Cephas and Wiggins. I was in there actually checking out, um, you know, uh, a, c a couple other musicians that I'd heard about. And the guy that was working there said, you should really check these guys out. And that's what I really miss about, you know, going to good good music stores is having that kind of interaction. Um, and you can certainly still do that, but it's just a little harder than it used to be. <laughs> but anyway, so Cephas and Wiggins are definitely on the list. Hey, I mean, obviously, like Taj Mahal, uh, you get a lot of uh, Alvin Young, Bud Hart on the on the show, Co Corey Harris, Guy Davis. Um, I play, I, I've been really into John Tavius Willis lately. Um, just, I, I could go on and on, but it's just, it's a lot of fun to play these, these guys that are doing old style blues, but doing it right now and, and making it sound so sweet. Do you have a regular feature you want to share? I used to do a feature called two for the blues every week, which was, uh, I would go back and I would hit an, an original old blues song and then I would do a, a kind of an unusual interpretation of that song. Even if that wasn't a, a blues interpretation of the song. I still do that sometimes, but now I, I've been kind of mixing that in here and there, and I, I'll sometimes hit that, I sometimes won't. Tell me something about yourself that listeners would be surprised to know. Uh, I like waking up early. <laughs> well, <laughs> I guess that's not a surprise. No. 5 a.m. <laughs> on, on, your, on your weekend, on your Sunday morning for, for the show, of course. Yeah, I don't know what would come as a surprise. I mean, maybe it's a surprise that I didn't come into doing the show with very much knowledge in the genre. I just knew that I liked the music and I knew that I, I had a passion for it. I kept making mixes for myself and for others. And I would always throw some what I would call back porch style blues into these mixes. And sooner or later, I started to realize that this was a style of music that that I liked. I mean, it's kind of how I approached founding a major in college, too. So <laughs> sooner or later, I was like, oh, you know, I've taken a lot of classes in this field. Maybe I should focus on that. So what was your major? Uh, it was geography. Geography. Yeah, physical and human geography. And yeah. what do you do today? So today I'm the supervisor of the Utah Snow Survey Program. So I'm I'm a I'm a um, 
employee of the U.S. Department of Agriculture, and within that, I work for the NRCS, which is the Natural Resources Conservation Service. And, and I head the office here in Utah um, that looks, that maintains and, and edits the data for uh, weather stations throughout the state of Utah and also in Nevada and around Lake Tahoe. And so we measure the snowpack, we measure particularly the water content of the snowpack, and then we try to correlate that um, to from the amount of water that's in the snowpack to how much we expect to get downstream in our reservoirs when it all melts in the spring. How are we doing? A little better than we were at the beginning of the month, but still hurting. We we were at about 135% of normal snowpack by the end of the calendar year, which was really exciting. And it just turned off. January and February were so dry. We set in the state of Utah at our snow tell sites. This is our, our weather stations are called snow tell sites. We set, I think, 61 records for driest period from January 7th to March 1st. It was just really bad. We've recovered a little bit in March and the beginning of April, but you know March was still below average. But we did get some precipitation those months, and and obviously we're getting some right now. Um, so we're at about 74, 75 percent of of normal as of the time that we're recording this, <laughs> and so it, it's changing daily. We've already passed our peak snow water equivalent, our peak snowpack for the year. We got that on March 22nd, and that was about 85, 86% of normal at that time. Um, it ranked, I think, 36th out of the 42 years that we've been doing this. So it's 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 well below what we were hoping for. It's a mega drought that we're in, right? It's definitely been scary the last 10 years. We've had a couple of really good snow years, 2011 and 2017. 2019 wasn't bad, but in between those maybe two or three years, it's been phenomenally dry. And, and it's really getting hard to predict what's coming next when we get this uh, uh, feast or famine pattern. It's, it's, not how our, um, it's not what we like to see. We, we haven't been getting a lot of what we would call average years. We get these years that are well below average and then these huge years and not a lot of uh, in between. Do you talk about this on the show, or is your show your <laughs> sanctuary from all that concern? I Yeah, I guess this would be what maybe surprises people. I have no connection between the radio show and what <laughs> I do professionally. That's uh, There's no connection there. So, no, I go in, and that's a separate world. Well, I've crossed the streams that's for fine. you. That's fine, yeah. Do you have a, a, a Instagram or Twitter that you guys put out from the office? We... Do and we don't. Uh, the best thing is just to, to uh, in your search engine, just type in Utah Snow Survey, and you can you can get to our webpage, and you can find out all kinds of current snowpack information there, runoff forecasts, all kinds of things like that. Talk about the reservoir levels uh, across the state of Utah. Um, there is a Twitter feed that's run by NRCS Utah, and they do uh, feature a lot of our stories, like when we're interviewed on the media and things like that. Um, but uh, but I don't personally maintain that. Okay, what is that handle though, so people can check? I it think out? it's just at NRCS Utah, something like that. All right. <laughs> Obviously, you're not hooked up with the marketing department over the NRCS. No, that's not my thing. <laughs> no. Well, you you talked a bit about how you discovered KRCL, how you started a show with no real expertise in the genre that you you explore every week, and I love that about KRCL. You know, we're not looking for people with PhDs in whatever genre. We want folks who love music. So what is it about music that you love? I think it's the connection. It's the connection both to other people and to a community and to myself. I mean, uh, there's a uh, something that happens when you're listening to music that changes about yourself and, and your interaction with others that I think is really beautiful. And um, I felt that right away. I mean, I'm not trying to pitch right now, but I felt that right away when I started tuning into 90.9. I mean, it it's real. And so I um, I think that's that's what it is for me is I just really appreciate no matter what style of music it is. It I've never it's crazy because I, I have certain people that I love that are great lyricists, but I've always been more about the sound. Um, and I, it, I feel like that's crazy because, again, some of my favorite like John Prine is probably my favorite musician, an amazing lyricist. But I also, again, fell in love with his sound. And, and that's typically, you know, maybe the third, fourth time around, I'll be able to tell you what the words were of a song. But in the meantime, I've got the sound down. And I think that's that's how I connect to, to what I'm hearing. A lot of DJs are also musicians. Are you musically inclined? I do play blues harmonica. I, I will occasionally talk about that during the show. Um, I, I don't really get into it too much. Um, I'm not in a band or anything. But I do really enjoy playing blues harmonica. And sometimes if I'm playing something... 
you know, that's a, that's a hero of mine. I'll, I'll mention, hey, this person's doing this amazing thing, or I'll try to explain what the technique is that they're using in the song. Yeah. But uh, beyond that, I, I mean, I, I don't really play guitar or anything like that very well. Well, for folks thinking, I might want to pick up the harmonica, what's the best starter harmonica? Well, I, you know, I, I don't think you can go wrong with um, the special 20 harps from Honer. Those are, those are my favorite, um, but <laughs> I think I'm just a little biased. I like, I like just kind of, they've got kind of a sweet sound. There's, they're, it's easy to bend the reeds on those harmonicas, and um, they're, they're pretty durable, so I've been pretty happy with those. There you go. Jordy's yeah. endorsement. <laughs> <laughs> don't work for Honer. So what do your family and friends have to say about you being a KRCL DJ? I mean, what do you say, eight, nine years now you've been doing this, and that means uh, pretty much every Sunday. Yeah, my family has been incredibly um, supportive and flexible with me wanting to come in and do this. I mean, it, the nice thing about having a show that's 5 to 7 in the morning is that you can still have your full Sunday. It doesn't really interfere too much, but obviously if I'm out of town and things like yeah. that, I try to find a sub for the show. And, uh, the family's been super supportive. My wife loves the fact that I have this. We we both try to have our separate spaces, that, you know, outside of our, our partnership that we can be creative and do other things. So this is that's what this is for me. That's a great idea. So to close this up here, Jordy, what is the power of community radio for you after eight, nine years doing Back Porch Blues Ramble? I think it's the, the learning. I, the power of community radio to me is, is, is just constantly learning from others. It's just... Constantly, every time I come into this station or I turn on, uh, you know, 90.9 or whatever I'm doing, I'm, I'm learning from the people that are, are curating that particular show. And that's it's the passion that people bring here um, that every particular show is is so thoughtful. And it's it's, it's someone that, you know, again, maybe like me, they, they weren't expert in that genre. Or maybe they were. Either way, they're bringing in a passion for that particular style of music, and, and they're excited about what they're playing, and, and you can get that same experience just listening. All right, let's play DJ. What do you want to go out with? Give it to us. Oh, I'd love to do some uh, Sonny Terry and Barney McGee to go out. Which song? Oh, let's do Sonny's Whoop and the Doop. What do you like about <laughs> this one? He's going to whoop the doop. <laughs> <laughs> whoop and the what doop? O- what else do you got to say? I mean, come on. <laughs> All right, give it to us. My name is Jordan Clayton. I do the Back Porch Blues Ramble Sunday mornings from 5 till 7 a.m. Well, this is uh, Sonny Terry and Brian McGee doing Sonny's Whoop and the Doop, and you are tuned into 90.9 FM KRCL. As Sonny Terry whooping the doop, courtesy of Jordy Clayton host of the Back Porch Blues Ramble Sundays from 5 a.m. to 7 a.m. here on KRCL. I'm Laura Jones, and that's Radioactive here on a Radiothon Eve and Earth Day Eve. I hope you enjoyed yourself plugging into your community live and local with listeners Community Radio of Utah. Radiothon kicks off tomorrow at 6 a.m. with John Florence on a brand new day. I hope you'll join us. I hope you put some money where your ears are, too. We've been uh, sticking together since 1979. Let's go again, shall we? Let's get some more Sunny Terry here on KRCL 90.9. Thanks for listening. Have a great night. This is Rashawn from Radioactive, and Radiothon is right around the corner, y'all. We're live and local and need you to help keep us that way. Pick out a t-shirt, join the Vinyl of the Month Club, or try on a gift for good. Just a few of the ways that we can say thank you when you donate to Listeners Community Radio of Utah online at krcl.org. And I want to see you in them shirts, y'all. Take care.